I've been lucky enough to spend a bit of time with James and he's so much fun, so passionate and so knowledgeable. He's the UK rep for Acilia um, and all of their properties. And here he gives us a really good oversight um, into, into Ruaha and everything amazing that's going on there. So enjoy. How did you get into the safari industry originally? Well, I think uh, kind of like most kids, I was just pretty obsessed with uh, with the outdoors from a very early age and kind of watched uh, every single kind of Attenborough documentary going. Um, I don't think that's unusual. And then, uh, yeah, kind of after school, I spent um, some time in a place called the Salati Game Reserve, which is in uh, the Limpopo province in, in sort of northeastern uh, South Africa, um, bordering the Kruger National Park. And I spent a few months there. Uh, monitoring lions as part of like a research project um and then on the side i i did my level one for gasa theory which is the field guide association of southern africa um and then yeah from then on i was basically hooked and that's sort of all i wanted to do um i then went back to back to the uk and, and went to university and um and then yeah following uni was sort of trying to find a job and initially i was interested in conservation and, and wanted to get into things on that side but uh i didn't have a natural sciences degree so found it hard to get a job basically and, and also no money to uh, go and volunteer on another program so um my parents had actually just come back from a safari themselves um and they asked if i thought about getting into the industry through through tourism which which i hadn't um but uh then yeah i basically phoned up the company that they booked with um and uh yeah a few months later i was i was working for them which was quite cool and then um i basically spent the last kind of 10 years or so um working in east african tourism in, in one way or another um initially i was uh, in sales and um, working for various uh, tour operating uh, operators in, in the uk and then over in australia i moved there for a bit and worked for a couple in, in uh, sydney i'm always selling east africa and then uh, i returned to the uk uh, about four or five years ago and that's when i joined cilia which is where i am today which is a slightly different um side of the industry and now on the kind of supplier side rather than uh, in direct sales. Um, but uh, yeah, that's basically it. I think like everyone, you sort of fall into these things. Um, but I think I just always had a passion from a, from an early age and then, and then yeah, kind of got hooked when, uh, when I first went out there. That's amazing. I didn't realise that you'd done your guiding qualifications. So you've basically covered all bases. You've done every kind of angle of the safari industry. <laughs> Nearly. We, we, uh, the, the, the one big outstanding one, which is such a pain or, or, or a real sort of shame really is, uh, is the camp management pit, which I never got to do. And, um, my wife and I actually were, were offered a, a role in Tanzania, um, in about 2019 when we were coming back from, from Australia and, uh, and had signed contracts and everything. And then we just didn't get our work permits approved at the last minute and they all fell through. Um, in hindsight, it's actually been a good thing because then the pandemic happened and everything would have been out of a job anyway. But, um, that's the one bit I sort of feel like I, I missed out on a little bit. But, uh, other than that, yeah, I've sort of, um, done sort of been full circle now. Yeah, I mean, there's always time. There's always time. Um, there's That's always true. camps that need uh, managing, and um, maybe in the future, um, you guys will will do that. Um, Who knows? Yeah, I'd love to. It's a that's a hell of a role, camp management. It's difficult. Um, it's very yeah. challenging. I think it's almost one of the hardest roles in our industry. 
for sure for sure you've got to be on your game like all the time and, uh, but uh, yeah it's also just the most incredible place to kind of work and, and live but yeah it's it's uh, it's hardcore like it's uh, it's it's weeks and weeks on without any any time off at all really and um, yeah you've got to like as I said to kind of be be front of a house and smiling and on your game kind of 24 7 yeah absolutely and dealing with people you know people are difficult people are just difficult yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what's your current role within Acilia now? Yeah, so um, I am the head of agent relationships in Europe and Africa, um, which is essentially a fancy way of saying that I look after our um, our business partnerships really um, with the lovely travel agents and travel companies who book us, a bit like the luxury safari company. Um, and yeah, my job is to try and increase sales um, with those companies uh, through sort of education, marketing, um, come up with commercial arrangements and, and just generally ensuring that our partners are getting the best possible service um, from Acilia. Yeah, absolutely. And so whenever I see you, we're having kind of in-depth chats about all the camps and what any new updates and new camps. And I'm obviously very lucky to have been to most of your camps. And so I can vouch for for when you're telling me they're amazing. I can I can (laughs) wholeheartedly agree. Um, But yeah, it's um, it's nice because you get to know everyone in the industry pretty well, don't you? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting perspective, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love that part of it. It's very, um, yeah, it, it's sort of client-facing in the sense that, that you're always speaking to people and chatting to people, but um, I'm not kind of putting the trips together myself and I don't have to do any quotes and look at numbers and things like that too much, which I know I used to enjoy too much. Um, and, um, yeah, it's all about the, the relationships with, with the people um, and, uh, yeah, getting to speak about a, a topic that I'm truly very passionate about. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really good job, and I love looking um, looking after the UK market, particularly, which is where I'm based. Um, uh, there's just so many amazing travel companies here who've been doing it for such a long time, and, and really do know their stuff. Um, so they are, uh, for the most part, quite easy to to, to work with. And then um, there's a whole other sort of world out there of, of kind of new business and uh, a whole bunch of um, opportunities and plenty of new startups and things like that. So um, I do enjoy kind of dealing with the various businesses at, at the different points that they're at and, and sort of helping them along their journey and, and just trying to kind of see where Acilia can kind of fit in with their clients and um, and everything. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really fun job. Yeah, you're always very encouraging. So that's, so yeah, it's great working with you and working <laughs> with Acilia. Um, so let's talk about Acilia's offering in Ruaha itself. Um, I've obviously yes. just stayed at Jabali, which is amazing and is a kind of modern safari yeah. camp for discerning travellers, I would say. Um, yeah. Still very small very and intimate, um, but just, you know, very, very comfortable. Really, really good food and, yeah. and a modern take on a safari camp, which is so, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, Jabali Ridge is a very, very special place. Um, I think I said before, you just went out. It's my actually my screen's over on my computer, so I sort of spend uh, spend days because sort of looking at it uh, from afar. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the location's incredible. It's sort of set up on this rocky outcrop overlooking a baobab forest in front. Um, if people have never seen a baobab tree. They're like these huge kind of bulbous trees which can live for sort of thousands of years, and they look almost like they've been planted upside down with roots all pointing upwards. And yeah, they're kind of strange things and 
Um, but then beyond that, there's just this kind of endless wilderness. Um, and uh, it's in a fantastic game viewing area as well in, in Ruaha, which I'm sure we'll speak a bit more about um, later on. But uh, in terms of the camp itself, yeah, as you said, it's very small and intimate. We've just got eight suites there. Um, they're all built into the rocky boulders. Um, so they sort of blend into the um, surrounding environment. Um, yeah, all with beautiful views, as I've said. Um, so Jabali is part of our sort of reserve category, um, which is so, so yeah, I should probably just start off by saying, yeah, Cilia, we have sort of 18 um, camps and lodges in our portfolio. Um, we've got three in, in Ruaha currently. Um, and yeah, Jabali, which is part of our reserve category, which is our sort of highest end, um, which essentially means that there's an infinity pool, a spa, and just a sort of higher service offering in terms of the food and the wine list and, and that kind of thing. Um, it's a really, really lovely, lovely spot, but um, yeah, very comfortable as you as you said. Um, but we still want guests kind of feeling close to nature, and we don't have sort of glass sliding doors and aircon and that kind of thing where you sort of shut away and, and it could almost be anywhere. We really want guests to feel part of, of where they are, um, and we also would never kind of sacrifice uh, for all these mod cons and, and, and levels of luxury that the actual game viewing experience itself. And um, still got um, it's in a incredible area for, for, for wildlife viewing and with great guides and loads of activities to do as well night drives and walks and so on um but yeah i i, I always think the actual problem with jabali is that the rooms in the main areas are so nice that you almost don't want to go out on a game drive and which is ridiculous when you're when you're in ruaha and but i think you just have to spend one afternoon just drinking a cocktail in the pool and you're watching the sunset um but uh yeah then then you sort of feel like missing out on seeing lions and leopards and everything else so you can't really win um but uh you know jabali is an amazing place and uh, yeah it's certainly a beautiful spot to spend a few days yeah, exactly. I definitely think you'd want to spend at least three, ideally four plus nights yeah. there to make the most of it, especially because Ruaha is, you know, you've got such a vast area to explore as well. Um, it's very yeah. kind of chic and trendy, isn't it, Jabali? Yeah, 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 it is. Um, yeah, with little surprise snacks and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, little, little touches here and there a few different places to, to eat as well. I don't know if you had that incredible dinner that they sometimes set up in the boulders with the candles all, all around it and things like that. It's, it's a very special place. But yeah, that's why you sort of need a few nights there, I think, to kind of enjoy um, as much of it as you can. Yeah, no, we did We did do that. And what was so lovely is that at the same time as we were having dinner in, in amongst the boulders, all the vervet monkeys were going to sleep and you can watch them against the kind of like silhouetted against the sky. Like silhouette hopping from tree yeah. to tree um and then awesome. rather excitingly in the middle of the night they all went absolutely berserk which can mean only one thing as you know that there was also a leopard in camp <laughs> as well so it was yeah it's you are definitely you are still very much in the wilderness in that camp even though it is yeah. very modern and chic and trendy yeah 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 i think it's a really nice balance actually um yeah that's awesome very jealous <laughs> <laughs> And then Kohala, I understood from some of the guys at Jabali that you might be doing some, making some changes or or what's yeah. what's happening with Kohala? Yes. So Kohala, um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the changes, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into kind of some of the issues that, that Ruwaha and Southern Tanzania have been experiencing. Um, uh, but yeah, sadly, Kohala is actually going to be closing um, in its current form, at least um, from the 30th of September. So we've only got a couple more months um, of it being open, which is a, a real shame. Um, 
put simply, the reason for that is just there aren't enough people coming to visit. We want for it to be commercially viable for us to keep the camp open. Um, we've got other properties, as, as I well, we just mentioned, Jabali, which are people looking for kind of um, high levels of luxury are, are, are picking there. And then the other option, which I'll speak about in a moment, is Usangu. Um, and I think people who are looking for a really kind of adventurous, um, simple safari um, offering, uh, they're, they're choosing Usangu, and as a result, Kuala's kind of um, lost out somewhere in the middle, which is a, a huge shame. Um, Kuala is, is uh, very close to my heart. It's one of the sort of first camps I ever stayed at, and it's a it's a really sort of traditional bush camp um, in a wonderful location. Um, it overlooks this dried up riverbed, um, and uh, yeah, it's in a similar location to, to Jabali in many respects in terms of um, being right in that core game viewing area. Um, just six canvas tents um, and very much a kind of relaxed camp you um it's the kind of place where you just sort of sit out for hours under the stars sat around a campfire and listening to the sounds of the bush and the lions calling and all that kind of thing and it's a very special um place so um so yeah it's a shame that we're, we're going to be be closing that um it's not the end for Kuihala and we're still going to keep that space um so we will be doing something else there in in due course um and the tents themselves are going to be packed up and moved and we're actually setting up a, a wildlife training college um which we're going to use them for which is quite cool and obviously the staff who are excellent um they're, they're going to be um obviously um kept on and and, and uh, just relocated to jabali and roho yusalu and some of the other properties that we've got um but nonetheless yeah it's a bit of a bit of a, a shame um because as i said it's a it's a camp that was very close to my heart and it's been with Asilia for for over 10 years now um so yeah it is a bit of a bit of a shame yeah, that is that is a shame, and we'll yeah we'll come on obviously to the difficulties of um of operating in Ruaha in a, in a moment. Um, but Asangu, your new camp is actually very exciting. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about yes. it? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, just to sort of take the camp itself, and maybe we can talk about the area and and um and why it's important afterwards. But um, kind of take everything that I was just saying about Kuihala and sort of times it by about 10 um so it's it's uh it's best suited for those who've got a really sort of strong sense of adventure and looking for something completely off the beaten track um the area where we're based is um is about six thousand kilometers square um and we have it all to ourselves so that's about four times the size of the Masai Mara um and it's just our six safari tents there um the focus here is kind of very much on the sort of exploratory nature of the experience and, and just getting guests involved with the conservation story that's going on. Um, it's a very simple camp. Um, all meals are cooked on an open fire and, and enjoyed under the stars and um, yeah, a bit like kind of safaris used to be. Um, and then there's just a huge amount of, of um, activities we've got on offer. So obviously game drives, um, each group gets their own private vehicle and actually the vehicles are, are quite cool. They're, they're these upcycled Land Rovers, which are run on an ethanol-based um, biofuel, um, which actually comes from a local sugar plantation which is quite cool and um, they also have um, thermal imaging technology on them so we can do game drives and then guests can sit in the back and have an ipad um, you can switch off all the lights on the vehicle um, and guests can view wildlife completely naturally um, which is which is awesome a bit like kind of watching your own live live documentary with uh, with no one else around um, we, we can do walks there and we can do um We've got a trails camp, which is um, for, for sleep out. So these star cubes, which are basically like a, you can imagine a, a mosquito net, but just in, in, a, in a cube, um, just with a simple rollout mattress. And you can just sleep out under the stars. Um, um, we can do boating safaris. We get guests involved with the conservation, as I said. So on their first night, 
they get given a camera trap which they can put out and then on the final night um uh the researchers who are based there can go through the images um with them um they can also use telemetry which is a form of radio um tracking for um some of the animals that we have uh collars on um which we're which we're sort of using for, for research um and guests are also encouraged to download um, an app, which is the same app that the researchers based there are using to, to log um, various sightings. And, and um, it's all kind of forming part of the biodiversity audit that's been going on there. So it's really, really cool and completely different to sort of what many other um, camps are offering. And um, just really trying to get guests a bit more involved in the process rather than just going out on game drives and, and viewing wildlife. It's really kind of doing it with a purpose, um, which is which is quite exciting. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, I love the night vision on the night drive. Yes. That is seriously cool. Um, and so cool. So it would make a really good combination with Jabali then probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that would actually be a really, really awesome um, itinerary if you did sort of three nights down at Usangu and, and got really stuck into the completely off the beaten track and, and simple but, but incredible experience and then go to Jabali Ridge afterwards for a bit of luxury and, and uh, swim in the pool and, and a cocktail and that kind of thing um, would work amazingly well. And actually, from doing that, you would also have the opportunity of driving the, the sort of length of Ruaha almost. Um, it's a long drive, but the, the, the park is so big and so diverse that where we are on the Usangu um, floodplains in the south, it couldn't be more different from the kind of um, long bending rivers of uh, the Ruaha River and, and uh, the Magusi River and then the uh, rocky outcrops where where Jibali ridges and the Baobab forests and all that kind of thing, and on the way you pass through Moombo woodlands and sort of all these different um, environments, the open savannas. Um, so uh, yeah, you'd really kind of get a unique perspective of, of of being able to view the park in a in an amazing way because often you're based in a camp and you know you'll you'll ex- you'll explore the area around it, but sort of travelling through the park like that would be would be an amazing thing to do. I mean, I can't imagine anything better, to be honest. <laughs> um, so um, I was going to ask you what makes Ruaha special to you, but we've—I co- mean, we've kind of covered it. It's clear that you absolutely love this park, but I mean, it's—it's it's the wilderness, really, yeah. isn't it? It's the remoteness of it and the lack of yeah. camps. Exactly, exactly that. Um, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, it's it's kind of it was one of the first safari destinations that I ever visited. Certainly, kind of as a in brackets tourist, although I was sort of working. Um, but uh, it's um, yeah, it's held a sort of special place in my heart ever since, and I've been really, really fortunate to have been back and visited several times over over the past um, few years. And um, yeah, well, basically, whenever anyone's talking to me and they want to go somewhere and, and they're interested in that kind of thing, then. Yeah, I'm desperate just trying to get them to go. Um, my parents have been there. I've sent my brother on his honeymoon there. I've sent my sister on her honeymoon there. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it never fails to kind of um, impress people. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's the wild and remote um, element of it. Um, I was just saying how, how big Usangu was. Um, that's one tiny element of this whole park, which is sort of over 20,000 kilometers squared. Um, so that's bigger than the Masamara and the Serengeti put together. Um, and only about 6% of the number of people that go to the Serengeti each year go to Ruaha. Um, so just to put that into perspective, it, it does just mean that you can be out in certain areas and driving all day and not see another vehicle. Um, and 
just because people haven't necessarily heard of it, um, pe- you, people might think that the game viewing is not potentially as good as someone like Serengeti, but I mean, there's hope, I'm sure these stats get thrown around a lot, but um, there's about 10% of the world's lion population in Ruaha, over 10,000 elephants, um, which is the most in East Africa. It's the third largest population of wild dog. Um, there's more bird species there than anywhere else in East Africa. Um, and yeah, as you said, um, very few camps, but the, the, the camps that are all there, um, and not even just on a cilia perspective, um, there are plenty of other properties that you can look at as well. They're all small, um, but really good selection. Um, you can't go far wrong, actually, in, in Ruaha, and there really is kind of something to cater for, for all sort of ends of the market. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a kind of no-brainer for, for people to, to go there. Um, even if you want to go to the to northern Serengeti and, and you want to go to the crater and the Serengeti, fine, but then to fly down to, to Ruaha afterwards because the experience there is so different um, than what you'll see up in the north. And similarly, um, if, you're, if, if you really want to get away from the crowds and, and just feel like you've got this whole place to yourself, then a trip in southern Tanzania works so nicely. Combining Ruaha with another area called Nerere National Park, used to be called Salu, um, that's a really, really lovely circuit. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very awesome um, park, and I just wish more people, more people went there. Um, not too many, but a few more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, I'm going to be obviously trying really hard to incorporate it into all my Tanzania itineraries, especially because there is a direct flight from the Serengeti down to Ruaha. Mm. Um, it is there, so yeah. the connections are there, and it's actually straightforward. We've just done a really good trip for a family, which included Ruaha, and are having been up in the northern Serengeti to see the migration. And it's yeah. just, it just the ultimate the ultimate safari, I think, in Tanzania, to be honest, yeah. to combine them. yeah. Um, I'd agree with that for sure. And that those circuits, the, the flight routes are there. Um, there. There was a an issue because so few people do it um, that there were big inducements. Um, so you had to pay basically for more seats um, uh, for, for the flight to run, which made it very expensive for a couple or, or a solo traveler going on their own. Um, but as um, tourism has picked up again from from um, after the pandemic, um, those those inducement flights have got less and less. Um, so so now it's 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 a much more affordable to get through Oha than it than it used to be. Um, and yeah, hopefully that's that's going to only continue to to sort of get easier and easier um, as as tourism continues to kind of do well in in Tanzania. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, so when people are staying at one of your Ascilia camps in Ruaha, what um, conservation projects are they indirectly contributing to by staying by staying with you guys? Yeah, so, um, well, there's sort of quite a bit to that. Um, but um, looking specifically in, in southern Tanzania, so um, the simplest way to, to, to say it is, is basically... Just by traveling and staying at an Acilia property, um, guests are helping to make a positive impact in the area that they're, that they're staying at or, or visiting. Um, the way we do that is essentially we, we build in a very small uh, conservation fee. Um, it's $5 per person per night. Um, and all of that money gets pulled together um, and uh, funneled into an organization called Acilia Giving. Acilia Giving is essentially the charitable um, arm of, of Acilia. And through Acilia Giving, we support um, a number of different uh, what we call implementing partners, which are essentially NGOs, um, charitable organizations, things like that, which are already established in the areas that we operate. So, for example, in Ruaha, um, we work with a company called um, Southern Tanzania Elephant Program, um, or STEP. Um, and as the name suggests, um, that they work, um, obviously, uh, in kind of elephant conservation. Um, and the funds that we're able to give them 
um, enable them to to sort of carry out their work essentially. Um, they collect data on elephant distribution, population structures, um, general behavior in, in, in the park. Um, and uh, yeah, we help uh, sort of fund that that, that monitoring. Um, if guests are interested in, in that kind of thing, then we can get um, one of the researchers from STEP to come into um, Jivali Ridge or or, or, um, or, or Sangu and, and come and do a presentation on uh, kind of the work that they're doing, um, some of the challenges and successes that they have. Um, it's a similar story kind of across um, Africa really but um, in terms of trying to manage human wildlife conflict um, obviously as population sizes increase on the borders of these national parks and and, um, and often encroach into the parks um, uh, the, the chances of, of, of what of potentially dangerous wildlife coming into contact with humans is, is increasing and, and, and that's a real challenge. Um, thankfully Ruah is such a large area still that, that there's plenty of space for things like elephants to roam um, um, but nonetheless, uh, they they have their their work cut out um, on the, on the borders. So um, it's a really interesting organisation to, to work alongside. And as I said, we we work with at least one implementing partner sort of everywhere we have a camp. So um, if you think we've got a portfolio of eighteen, there's, there's sort of plenty of other charities that we're also working with. Um, but beyond that. Um, I think it's important to kind of mention the Usangu project as well, um, because obviously we've been sort of directly involved with that. So. Um, Usangu is this area right in the far south of, of Ruaha, um, which only joined on to the, the National Park in 2008. Um, so whilst it sort of has been part of the National Park and therefore should be under sort of uh, protected status, there's actually been no conservation or presence there at all until um, sort of we, we moved down there a couple of years ago. Um, we then teamed up with, with Tawiri, which is the Tanzanian Wildlife Research Institute, and Tanafa, which is the Tanzanian National Parks Authority, who are the, the organisation that essentially manage all of the national parks in, in, in Tanzania. Um, and we've been conducting a wildlife census down there to kind of document um, how well, um, uh, how ecologically diverse the, the area is, um, how important um, species are doing there um, under the current protection of, of the national parks. Um, and then we've also uh, successfully collected certain species that grow in sable lion um, and so on, which can then track their movements and learn a bit more about their behavior. And all of this research is then um, being uh, used to kind of influence conservation policy, and, and we're hoping to develop a slightly more robust, uh, robust uh, water management plan um, with local governments to kind of safeguard this area. Um, the reason that's important is that the Usangu um, floodplains, um, which are seasonal and they sort of dry up, that they're the they're the source to the Great Ruaha River, which flows through Ruaha. Um, and joins onto the the Rufiji River system, which flows which flows through Nyerere National Park or, or, or the Salu Game Reserve, and then uh, that comes out um, in the Indian Ocean opposite the Mafia Archipelago. Um, the nutrients that come down that um, uh, basically uh, are where that incredible sort of coral reef and everything else around the uh, Mafia Island. Um, all sort of stems from so really the sort of whole uh, lifeblood of southern tanzania sort of originates um, in this usangu area um, which as i said until quite recently um, hasn't had any protection at all um, so in terms of sort of conservation we we're obviously doing a huge amount there to uh, to try and uh, safeguard this area um, and through tourism um, and sort of working um, hand in hand with with conservation, we're able to try and over time discourage poaching, um, provide sort of meaningful scientific data, and 
but also uplifting local communities and, and trying to contribute to the protection of that area by um, giving opportunity in terms of um, uh, education and, and also employment um, and trying to um, basically safeguard those areas as a as a successful conservation economy um, sort of for the for the future. Um, so yeah, there's a huge amount we're kind of doing doing down there, and, and uh, the more people we can get to, to come, the better. Um, the other the other part which i think is often not really spoken about which is which is a strange thing but because they're sort of separated out but obviously um the guests pay them um is is park fees which are actually hugely important um and uh, they are expensive um but but uh, they do go directly into kind of safeguarding these areas and paying ranger salaries and anti-poaching projects and all that kind of thing um and just through our properties in southern tanzania which are the ones i've mentioned already but as well as we have a property called roho yasalu um over in, in the Rere national park um we forecast would hopefully, you know, if bookings continue to increase, um, we'll raise about $300,000 just in park fees this year. Um, so again, that's another kind of huge part as to why um, people traveling with us are helping to kind of um, make these areas, um, uh, well, sort of safeguard them for the future, um, as I said. So yeah, it's very, very important. What would happen in an area this big if there wasn't any tourism? Well, um, it's under a lot of threat in terms of, um, well, bef before we, we moved into Usangu, there was um, a lot of encroachment with kind of um, local poaching. And, and I don't necessarily mean that for kind of elephant tusk and that kind of thing, although that, that is a, um, certainly a factor. Um, it's more just um, subsistence farming and um, coming in and poaching honey and, and uh, uh, grazing their, their cows and things inside the uh, the, the park essentially because there's very little other opportunity in terms of income um, and these people need, need to make a living um, the more that happens that the more biodiversity um, gets affected the more there's human wildlife conflict in these areas um, uh, revenge killing of lions for example because they may have eaten um, a, a herder's cows or goats or something like that um, and as the biodiversity gets um, gets affected, that obviously has has huge kind of knock on um, effects to the whole ecology of, of the area. Um, at the same time, if there is no money or or sort of future in in tourism and in uh, any value in having these wild areas um, with wildlife and, and and everything else the more important it is for, for local people to, to, to farm things like rice and, and, and other sort of water um, uh, water heavy crops which which then in turn dry up the area um, which then sort of stops the flow of the river which um, yeah and sort of huge kind of knock-on effects so um, to try and reverse all of that we really do need there to be a value on wildlife and, and on these wild areas um, and uh, I really strongly believe that kind of uh, for these areas to be protected and and and, and uh, to have any sort of lasting success, ecotourism has to work. Um, it has to be done in, in a responsible um, fashion, of course, and it needs to be done in a way that local communities um, benefit. Um, but um, yeah, it, it, if they're not, then then the whole existence of these areas is under threat. Um, we've already seen in um, Nerere National Park, um, the, the Tanzanian government have started to build a hydroelectric dam on the Rafiji River. Um, the, the true sort of effects of that are, are yet to be fully seen and, and realised. Um, but I think it just shows that um, these areas that, that have been around for forever, um, 
there's no guarantee that they that they that they are going to continue to be um, unless uh, unless ecotourism does work kind of in a in a big way and um, just to, on our own sort of company level I've already spoken about Kuihala having to close and um, that's a camp that's been there um, for as long as I've been been sort of doing doing this job um, and um, that's a, that's a huge shame so that, that if people continue to, to not go to these areas then then yeah they are under threat and um, some of those camps may close and then there's less opportunity and then um, there's a more uh, higher chance that people are going to go into poaching and that kind of thing because there just aren't um, the the, uh, education and and employment opportunities otherwise. So, um, yeah, I I, I think it's it's hugely, hugely important and sort of not to be underestimated. And um, I think when people understand a bit more about that and, and see... Where, when they're sort of choosing where to go on their on their holiday, um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to put people off going to the Ingoro Crater or the Serengeti or, or the Masomara and they're, they're incredible places, but they don't necessarily, thankfully, because they're 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 doing so well, need the same level of support as somewhere like Southern Tanzania does. Um, so um, I think it's important that people are aware of that sort of when they're making their their decision. Absolutely. Um, t- obviously, in Ruaha, tourism only operates in about 5% of the park at the moment. So they're still fighting a battle yeah. um, with, with the communities because although they are seeing some benefit, it's not obviously as high as the benefit of the communities no. that, say, live on the edge of the Serengeti. Um, no. So, as you say, we really need tourism to kind of continue to thrive there. And um, yeah. and there's actually plenty of space for a couple of other operators in Ruaha as well. Absolutely, my gut feeling. Absolutely, and um, we uh, that's always been our model. Um, that the so Rusangu is obviously at the beginning of its journey, but at Isili, there's there's plenty of other um, uh, examples of. of of areas where this has really, really worked. Um, if you look at Namiri Plains, if you look at Sayari, um, if you look at Naboisho, um, that there's loads of examples of, of um, where essentially we have gone into an area which previously wasn't particularly well known for tourism and, and didn't have any any camps in that, those areas. We then build a very light eco footprint, um, a very light footprint um, uh, eco camp. Um, which to then essentially prove the concept and get people excited about going to that area. And then over time, you can develop that and build a slightly um, a slight, slightly higher-end lodge. Um, and then that also um, brings in other operators into that area. And look at Sayari. Um, it's easy to forget now. So so for those that don't know, Sayari is up in the northern parts of the Serengeti, um, uh, very near the, the Mara River, um, an area sort of synonymous with kind of incredible wildlife viewing these days um back in 2004 um i think sorry was was the very first permanent lodge up there and and previous to that um uh each cycle of the migration apparently 50,000 wildebeest were, were were killed um for uh in just for bushmeat and, and that kind of thing um and now that area has been completely transformed um and and you can see the sort of benefits of ecotourism um, if done over, over done correctly and done over over a long period of time. So there is kind of hope, um, and that's exactly what we're trying to do in southern Ruaha um, with, with Usengu, and we're actually going into other areas in in, uh, in Nirere National Park as well um, and 
the exact same project that we're doing at Usangu um, that we started four years ago. Uh, we started this year um, in, in the Rero National Park and in the next couple of years, hopefully we'll open up a small camp there as well. And so, yeah, we're, we're really kind of doubling down our efforts to try and bring the benefits of good tourism to these new areas. Um, it's obviously not, not easy and you have to go through quite a lot of a few years of sort of not making any money first to, 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 to do it. Um, but over time, we have seen that it, that it can succeed and, and certainly has done for us in other parts of, of Tanzania and Kenya. Yeah, well, it's incredible to have, um, you know, companies like Acilia doing what they are doing, because otherwise it really would be a whole different story in these areas. Yeah. Amazing. I think that's that's a really good insight into what it takes to protect areas like this and also operate in areas like like Ruaha. Um, Something a bit more lighthearted. Who is your safari hero? Um, well, you said lighthearted, and I'm, sure, I'm not sure this one's actually going to be that high to lighthearted, but maybe I've got two answers here. So, um, one would be, I, it's remiss of me to kind of talk about Usengu and not mention a guy called Douglas Bell. Um, so Doug was, um, camp manager at Jabali Ridge and then was instrumental in, in setting up, uh, Usengu and, and was sort of one of the first guys down there, um, specking out exactly where to build the camp and getting involved with Tawiri and starting the, the initial biodiversity audits and everything. And sadly, um, he was actually a young guy in, in his 30s. He, he passed away a couple of years ago down there um, uh, for, for medical reasons, um, but uh, it was a bit of a shock to everyone. Um, and actually, we've we've named the um, the research station that's based on Usengu, the Douglas Bell Eco Research Station, which I think is a, is a is a nice and sort of fitting tribute. So I I, I can't really speak about Usengu and not mention him. Um, but as you said, you were sort of uh, doing something a bit lighter hearted. Then um, yeah, the, the other guy that sort of immediately springs to mind would be a guy called um, Andrew Molinero. I don't know if you... Do you know Molly from Kachaka? Have you been, yes. up, been up there? Yes, and obviously um, he's been a hot topic in the last week because he's kind of a celebrity in Ruaha, isn't he? He is. He is a big celeb down there. Um, and for good reason. He's, he's an absolute legend. Um, I've been very fortunate to be guided by him a few times um, and uh, was actually amongst their sort of first couple of guests when they set up Kachaka years and years ago when it was a very simple sort of fly tent uh, sort of camp and um, I've not been back since they've redone it I've seen the images and they're Paul and everything else so they've come a, a long long way um, but he's he's been he's helped out with uh, a silly guide training and things in the past and I bumped into him in, in Samburu in Kenya a few times and things like that but he's just uh, he's just a legend and, and if you get a chance to be guided by him um, it's a very special experience um, uh, he's very passionate about sort of the success in in, in or making Ruaha a, a success and um, he just loves what he does and, and when guests go out and stay there's just essentially just joining him on a walk-in safari because I get the feel he would be doing it whether, whether or not the guests are there or not um, so uh, yeah I definitely he definitely springs to mind when, when you mention that Two very cool dudes that hopefully um, yeah. clients will get to encounter at some point. Yeah, yeah. What's your most memorable um, safari experience in Ruaha in terms of the wildlife? Did you have any amazing sightings or...? Yeah, um, quite a few things spring to mind, like just incredible leopard sightings and bareback trees and um hyenas chasing lions off kills and uh lions taking down giraffes um all sorts of cool stuff i actually saw lions hunting buffalo there as well which is awesome um but 
definitely the thing that kind of it was it scared me a lot of the time but then uh in hindsight it was just the most magical experience was i was staying at a camp called madonia old river lodge which is um, a very small simple camp in in the west through a long long way from from anywhere else and um i was just sat out the front of my tent um in the middle of the day um uh, just after lunch was just sort of reading reading a book and just wearing uh just wearing a pair of shorts sort of on the on a kind of sun lounger type thing and out in the front of the uh the, the tent and then i heard a bit of rumbling um in the distance and um it started getting closer and then i was like oh this is going to be interesting and i put my hands on the arms of the uh, of the armchair to sort of stand up and as i did that um, a baby elephant just came straight through the bush in front of me and, and was stood um, literally a couple of meters from where I was. I could almost have touched it. Um, and then obviously a couple of seconds later that the mother comes, comes through as well. And then I'm stood, well, not even stood, I'm sat down looking up at this huge elephant um, a couple of meters away um, who is very surprised to see me there and is completely shocked and uh, and obviously a bit defensive um so she is staring straight at me and i am too scared to move obviously uh, i just remember looking down at my chest and my i could literally see my heart like pumping um and i don't know how long she stood there it felt like a very very long time it was probably only a couple of minutes and but um initially she was just dead still and then she started sort of scraping the ground and and she threw dust with her trunk over her shoulder and was looking quite aggressive um but i just stayed completely still and then and then she gradually just calmed and started eating very very slowly but never taking her eyes straight off me um and then eventually she she moved off and then moved through the bush and then when she went through another sort of three or four elephants followed after her and and, and uh, they were just so close to me um and yeah that was that's something that i will always remember um it was an incredible experience um i wouldn't sort of mean to get that close ever again um but uh but yeah it all all, all, all worked out fine in the end but yeah it was pretty pretty nerve-wracking at one point what what an amazing kind of humbling experience where you really yeah. really realize how small and insignificant you are oh my, that's exactly what it felt like yeah yeah completely how incredible and yeah i mean rua has definitely the place for unique wildlife experiences um like you were saying yeah. about the the leopards in the bay of yeah. is just extraordinary yeah extraordinary yeah i've got um, some so, so like amazing photos of the sun setting and that beautiful sort of orange light and then leopards just coming like walking down the trunk of the of a bear bab and um the only vehicle there like and yeah very very special place i i do think that with ruaha that sometimes you can go sort of drive for half an hour 40 minutes and not see anything um because it is so big and, and there's there aren't many vehicles around unlike other areas where you can see a crowd of vehicles and drive up and you know you'll find something you've really got to find it yourself um but when you do find something it, it, it's it's usually incredibly special and and uh, yeah very often you're the only vehicle there so you've got the whole thing to yourself which is very very special yeah and the other thing that i've absolutely loved is that because there aren't loads of vehicles out you, they don't use the radios and you track things no. and you use the birds and you yeah. use the the kind of wildlife to tell you where other things might be mm. and that is seriously cool and very exciting i find 
Absolutely, and that's exactly why the level of guiding needs to be that much better too, um, which is hugely important, I think, in a place like Ruaha, because the guys really, they earn their money there because they, they have to find the wildlife themselves and, as you said, use the signs of the, the bush and tracking and listening and all that kind of stuff to, to try and um, find the best wildlife sightings because um, they can't just rely on someone else doing it and then getting a phone call and saying, come come to this spot. Um, so, uh, yeah, the guiding or, or quality of the guiding is very, very important. Yeah, and um, definitely I experienced some, your amazing guides at Drabali and you guys have great guides actually mm. all over um, Africa. So that's definitely never an issue with, with your camps. Um, yeah. If you had to do another job outside tourism, what would it be? Good question. I, well, I always wanted, I'm obsessed with sports. So I like, if I could have become a professional sports person at something, I would have done that. But sadly, I was never quite good enough. Um, beyond that, um, I've always quite liked the idea of um, of running a pub or a B&B or something like that, or like a deli or something. But I guess that's also sort of, tourism related in, in one way but I always sort of figured in a different life that's, that's something I'd maybe be doing yeah I love that when I when I put this question together for this um these podcasts I was expecting people yeah. to say like pop star kind of movie star <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah sports star that would have been yeah that would have been amazing that would have been it yeah if I could <laughs> play professional cricket or rugby that would have been the dream but sadly not to be no. what, what about you Rose Oh my god, I haven't like I haven't even thought because I'm like you. I haven't. Um, that's really stupid of me not to actually have thought of my own answer. But um, I'm, Sorry, I'm I'm being a bit cheeky and asking you the question. <laughs> um, I've only ever worked in the safari industry as well. Like you, I've just yeah. been hooked from a young age. So that there is no plan B. Probably, I probably would have tried to do something in the music industry, like agent or you know something like that. Yeah, um, that'd but, be quite a cool lifestyle yeah but no same as you just it's always been africa and safaris so i have yeah there and i hope yeah. it will be that forever because i definitely do not have a plan b um so. well it's a pretty good pretty good plan a to be fair so yeah why change there were definitely moments during the pandemic where i felt like i should have had well, a plan b <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you and me both <laughs> um oh james thank you so much that was brilliant um that was not so at all thanks for having great. me it was a real honor to, to be honest i really really appreciate it and yeah just nice to kind of spend a bit of time reflecting and chatting about ruaha it's um, such a cool place i'm very jealous that you've just been there yeah it's such a cool place and i'm determined to get as many clients there as possible because it is such yes. a rewarding safari experience yeah it's yeah. a proper safari yeah. experience no messing yeah. around yeah completely yeah yeah awesome